You are listening to the Hoops Fix podcast, the official voice of the UK's largest basketball website. Visit hoopsfix.com for exclusive news, videos and more. Welcome to episode 59 of the Hoops Fix podcast with me, your host Sam Nita, full-time British basketball advocate. And on this week's show, we have another legend of the game. We've been doing a few episodes going into the off-the-court stuff. Uh, now we're going back to the on-the-court stuff. Um, and we have Steve Hansel, a Birmingham and British basketball legend. Uh, the first Brit, I believe, to play in the EuroLeague Final Four and win a uh, EuroLeague title, which we go into a little bit in this um, amongst Many, many other things, a very successful college career and obviously is now uh, coaching in Birmingham. So we spoke a little bit about the state of Birmingham basketball as well. Uh, it's worth noting uh, there is a couple of things in this interview. One, his square, his chair is a little bit squeaky. Um, so that's the, the squeakiness that you hear creaking as he sort of leans back and forward. Um, and then secondly, uh, if you're watching on video, the the light changes drastically uh, during the middle of the show. Uh, for me, it gets a lot darker because uh, a storm comes over and the window that sits opposite where I'm sitting right now was suddenly clouded over and uh, so I, I, I come across a lot darker. So I'm going to try and mess with the, the, the levels in the edit, but uh, it might be noticeable. So yeah, I just wanted to get that out there. Before we do get into the show, uh, as always, do need to give a quick mention to our Patreon account. Please go and check it out. Hoopsfix.com. No, not hoopsfix.com. Patreon.com forward slash hoopsfix. That's P-A-T. IEON.com forward slash H-O-O-P-S-F-I-X. There you can sign up to give us a monthly contribution or as, of as much or as little as you'd like to help us do the work that we're doing. Please go and check it out. Please consider um, donating the cup, price of a cup of coffee every single month to help us uh, continue growing and building uh, what we're trying to do to uh, contribute to British basketball. If you're listening on iTunes, please take two seconds to give us a rating and review. It would be much appreciated. Uh, If you're watching on YouTube, uh, please subscribe and let me know what you think uh, in the comments below. And if you want to reach out to me, uh, you can hit me up on every single social media platform at Hootfix. Or you can drop me an email to my email address. That's sam at Hootfix.com. I reply to every single one. Anyway, that is enough from me. Thank you so much for tuning in. Uh, Here is this week's show with me and Steve Hansel. Steve, welcome to the show. Thanks. Thanks for having me. So, um, yeah, you're another one of the, the legends of the game that I think uh, their career is very much underappreciated and, and a lot of people don't know the ins and outs of your story. So kind of had to get you on to go into the details. Um, and where I always like to start with everyone is right at the beginning. So rewind right back to the start and can you kind of tell us uh, how you first started playing basketball? What made you um, first get a ball in your hands? Well... I guess it all started back at um, secondary school, uh, the Manor School. Um, I think I played basketball one time in the summer before that. I remember playing once before that. And then I went to the school, that, um, my older cousin went to the school also. Um, so um, I went to that school, then I was introduced to the game. The uh, teacher gave me the ball, uh, Steve Amos. Um, which you probably hear a little bit more of uh, during this conversation. But he introduced me to the game. He gave me a ball and told me to do this, to a layup. I did it. To a shot, I did it. And then, you know, it all took off from there, really. So I would say from 11 years old. Do you feel like you had a natural ability when you first started playing out? Do you feel like you had sort of a natural raw talent or was it something that you had to work out to get good at? It was natural. 
Um, you know, I was a natural sportsman anyway. I was football, cricket. Didn't like rugby so much because I didn't like being tackled. Uh, but, uh, you know, I played Sunday league football, uh, district for schools. So I was always active. But with basketball, it was slightly different. I mean, the reaction that I was getting when I was asked to do something and I did it, that kind of gave me an inkling. And then, um, yeah, the ease of me doing what they're asking me to do and wondering what are they so happy about, <laughs> you know? That was the feeling. So, you know, once that, you know, once that took place, it was like, yeah, it was, it was a little bit easy. Do you feel like you fell in love with the game straight away? Yeah. Yeah. What yeah. was it What was it about it that you liked? Oh, no. Um, well, at first, basketball was on TV on Channel 4. I remember seeing it um, before I went to, to secondary school. And I remember seeing in my head the first game was Birmingham Bullets against Crystal Palace and Butch Hayes and those guys. And then NBA came on TV. And it was like I found myself watching it and I enjoyed the game. I enjoyed watching it. So then playing, you know, and the, like I said, I was a natural sportsman anyway, so I love sports. Um, but when I played it, it was like, like for most of us, it's a drug, isn't it? <laughs> once it's in your system, you can't shake it loose. So, yeah, it's hard to describe, but yeah, once I played it, it was just like, kept on going. I still played a little bit of football at the time, up until I was 14. I remember having a conversation with my mother, and she thought I was doing a little bit too much. She said I had to choose. So, yeah, the choice was kind of easy. Um, you know, I was getting recognition and stuff, so it was basketball. So, do you think? Would you say at that point? So, you're 14 years old. You've got to choose between football and basketball. You choose basketball. Do you think that was the point where it became a much more serious thing? Where you're like, you know, I I want to pursue a professional career. I want to do this. I want to do that. Or was it? Or was it still just very much about just the love of the game? You, you you enjoyed it at that point. No, like he says, at that point I was playing for England 15, so it's like it was an easier decision for me because like, well, I'm getting playing for England in this sport and just Sunday league here, so. And plus, also, we trained in the warmth rather than in the cold. <laughs> that was part of the decision as well. <laughs> um, but yeah, um, it, yeah, it was just like it just just rolled it. It just happened. It was just what was the question again? Sorry, I was just saying. Like, was that the point that you started taking it more seriously? Like, and thinking, yeah, you know, yeah, I, yeah. I want to be a professional yeah. or whatever it might be. Yeah. Also, also, it came on TV. There was um, college games on TV. As well as the Crystal Palace and the uh, Birmingham Bullets game, the 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 college games. You know, I saw Providence, I saw NC State, and that. And when I saw that, I was like, I want to be one of those guys. You know, I could see myself being one of those guys. So yeah, at 14, from when from when I was made my mind up that this was the only game, it was just it was just all in. And was it you were predominantly playing at secondary school? At what point did you start getting involved with sort of club basketball? Well, uh, our teachers were members of Birmingham Bullets. Um, they were coaches and team managers. So, um, you know, they saw my talent and brought me along uh, immediately, really. So I could say as early as 12, 13, I was, I was with the Bullets. Uh, you know, I can't remember the time, but it was seven. The, I think we had an under-15s team. Right. So, yeah, it was almost immediate. I was playing with the Bullets. And it wasn't long before you 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 made your senior debut in the in the in the BBL, right? 
Right, yeah, I made my senior debut when I was 16. And, and do you think that that was like a... Was that something you had aspired to be? Like, what was the kind of give us the lay of the land of, uh, you know, the, the league in those times, kind of what you were seeing and what you were aspiring to, to sort of work towards? What I was seeing, I mean, it was different. You know, I was 16, so I was still a cadet and a junior. Um, you know, so going into the men's world, you know, it was like, there were no prisoners, you know. They, they, you had to to measure up real quick, you know. So that transition was different, you know, for me because I think me and one other lad, Adrian Anderson, we was in similar positions. But the program kind of made it easier for us because you know we had it was structured, it was structured all the way through. Um, so you know the seniors used to come and watch the under 18s games and things like that, so they knew who we were. Um, so, you know, the transition going into, in, into that team, um, I guess my personality and how I was, uh, you know, I was a fighter, so I guess they absorbed me in and I didn't get any too many issues uh, from the younger lads. How did it work with regards to, did you, you know, after you made your, um, you, you sort of started playing with the, with the seniors, were you, did you stop playing for the juniors and cadets completely or were you playing games with the juniors and cadets as still and then also playing with the seniors like kind of how did it work in terms of your own scheduling and, and playing games the you know the, the our junior team was pretty strong um so you know we were winning games without me um so i was brought in for the you know the big games the the, the major games the games that i was a little bit nervous about so that's how the schedule was worked out so for those uh who were your main rivals, like that sort of generation of top guys that were coming through at the same time that you were? Who were the guys that kind of you were looking at being like, you know, I want to prove myself against these guys or these are the guys I'm sort of trying to be as good as or kind of, yeah, who were the other main guys of that era? English guys? I mean, what era? Because like you said, at 16, I was with the men. So it, it totally changed. I'm playing with the guys that went to DePaul and... St. David's, you know, North Carolina, yeah. you know, so at 16, I was exposed to that. So when it came to my age, I mean, I, you know who I really did like and he didn't play that much or I, I didn't hear of him much after was Marvin Alakatan. Okay. Yeah, yeah. yeah, he was the one guy I had my eye on, if I'm totally honest. Yeah. He's the one guy I had my eye on. When I seen him play once, he came up to Birmingham one time. Um, him and Martin Guthrie. I don't know how they rigged it out. They rigged the the the, uh, the, the contest. It was a three on three. There was a contest all around the country, and uh, somehow they came up to ours and they beat us. You know, it was me and, and two other guys. Um, but I was very very impressed with him. Um, I was very very impressed with him. I thought he was a very very good player. Uh, I believe he was younger than me or the same age. And then, you know, my teammates, you know, that we played National League with, you know, I just, you know, I got on the scene early. You know, yeah. I was on the scene early. So for me, it was, it was making sure I kept my spot, you know, and kept everybody, you know, uh, making sure I uh, made sure I held my own. What, so, what yeah, was, what, what was the local Birmingham basketball scene like uh, when you were coming through? Oh. There were so many players. It was great. I mean, 
at school, we used to go to school, and then after school, uh, the, we used to have the key to the gym. We used to go to after after school every single day. I didn't get home until five or six every day from when I picked up a basketball. And then um, on Sunday, there was a legendary um, session that we it was uh, called Oakland's, and it was like all the main players were there. So <clears throat> at the time when we grew up, I mean, you had Patrick. We played for Leicester. He was from Birmingham. We had the Maynard brothers. We had, you know, all the older guys, all the all the pros, or you know, played in the BBL National League. They all used to come, and that was the session. Um, it was a legendary session. Mike Landell was there. Barnes, everybody was there. So, and it was <laughs> there were a lot of arguments, as you would expect in pickup ball. I'm sure you, you you're aware. It's probably the same that in London. Um, it was legendary for that, you know, Nigel Hansen, you know, it was, uh, you know, Maynards and everything. There was a lot of arguing, but yeah, it was, it was, it was good. And that was like in the summer times during the season, like I said, we had the bullet structure, you know, under 16s or under 15s, under 17s, under 19s in those days. And um, it was the best players from in and around Birmingham. We had Spencer Dunkley ahead of us. I had Warren, you know, Warren Russell ahead of us. I had Stuart Ruckley, the Ruckley brothers ahead of us. You know, Nick Cook. They were good, good, good players. So, you know, you go up to Manchester, you see John Amici, you see Jamie Edwards, you see Pluto, you know, good, good players. So, yeah, I mean, I grew up seeing the players around me that were older and I was looking at them yeah, like, yeah, we've got to get to that level. When you look at the Birmingham basketball scene now, how, how do you compare it uh, to when you were coming up? It's a lot different. The Birmingham scene, um, there's like three, four, five teams, you know, Mid West Midlands teams, National League teams, whereas back in my day, it was the Bullets. There were other teams, XL came along, I think there was one other team that came along, um, but without being horrible that was there was space for another team basically because there was a lot of players that didn't that wasn't able to play in that bullets team um, they had an outlet to play but that didn't really last that long um, they came in and then they came out um, here now it's, it's everybody there's like I said three four clubs um, we're all doing our own thing and it's just um, everybody's doing different things yeah, I was going to say, so, do, you, do you feel like it's, I see a lot of, you know, players that have come from Birmingham saying that it's just, it's so divided. I, I feel like, you know, London has its own issues as well. And people always talk about in London, there's too many people doing their own thing and no one's on the same page. But I feel like uh, in my perception of what I see in terms of what people say and what people talk about, Birmingham seems to be the city that hasn't, that's almost in a worse situation than, than London because people haven't been able to work out there seems to be a lot of politics like and all that kind of stuff do you think that's fair to say or or, or would you say that that's wrong look i mean it's it, it's it's going it's happening all right um competition isn't bad competition is good you know you know when you have competition some you know at the top so at, at the bottom but it's less visible here um because I don't know, how do, you, how do you rank which team is on the top and which team is on the bottom, you know, without, you know, you're going to be nitpicking out, haven't you? So, it's different. Um, eventually, you know, hopefully the players don't suffer. You know, hopefully the players that are supposed to make it, make it. 
you know, mm. hopefully they come through, you know, hopefully we haven't missed anybody just through the politics. Um, so, uh, I mean, it can be good, but it is what it is at the moment. It, you know, it, it, it's, it's like it says, political. Um, everybody wants to do their own thing and, and that's what's happening. Yeah. Sounds like a, it's a it's a regular problem in, in British basketball in general. So um, I don't think it's yeah necessarily unique to Birmingham either. Um, okay, so yeah, so you, you you're playing with the senior team from from 16 years old. Uh, you know, did you have it in your mind? I want to get a scholarship to America. That's where I want to go and play. Or was the taking the American pathway just something that arose and kind of popped up? Like, how did that fit into everything? Um, there's a couple of things really. Yes, I, I did aspire to be, you know, a college player and then a pro. Um, I was always realistic in myself, knowing that it was always going to be Europe. Maybe I sold myself short a little bit there, um, but I always thought I always wanted to do it. And then once I once I started, once I played for the um, the senior team for Bullets. Um, you know, I started getting more recognition around the country, and Kevin Cadle um, contacted me and informed me, uh, well, selected me to go on to uh, the Nike All American camp. Okay. Um, Where were what in, in America or that was in the UK? That was in America. It was the Nike camp. Oh, okay. The, the so, okay, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean the players. Stefan, Ray Allen was on my team. Antoine was on. Antoine Walker was on my team. Jerry Stackhouse was there. Rashid Wallace. I mean, they're all my age. Wow. You know, they're all my and, age. Uh, so, what Kevin Cadle had to connect? Like, how did he get you into that yeah, camp? Kevin Cadle was real. Was real good friends with. Uh, I forget the guy's name, but the um, the head guy for for Nike. Okay. He was, he was, he was what, do you remember his name? What, the, the big boss, the, um, Phil Knight? No, not Phil Knight. Uh, I don't know who it was. Anyway, yeah. yeah. He was a good friend with somebody in Nike. Okay. And, um, and the one that organised the camps. And they wanted to invite international players over. Yeah. Um, so, uh, you know, he, he recommended me uh, to go over. I think uh, it wasn't just me. Yeah, when I think about it, it was me and Martin. Martin Hennant. Martin Godfrey. Oh, Martin Godfrey. Okay. And, and yeah, so, me and Martin what was that like? That must have been an experience. <laughs> I mean, that was that was there. Yeah, that was an experience. Uh, I remember Kevin calling me over and saying, "Look, these guys ain't that good. You better get out there and you know show your stuff." But look at them now. It's probably one of the best classes ever. <laughs> you know, Ray Allen, Steph, uh, Stefan Marbury was there. He was if Stefan was a youngster then. Alan Iverson, you know, I have a story, you know, I, I, I tell people that, that, that know me, um, you know, Alan Iverson's renowned to be, you know, you know, he's a hip hop guy, he's a, you know, a tough guy. So, uh, you know, we've been in the catering and we're sitting down next to each other, um, you know, for, 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 for dinner, having dinner. And he just comes over and says, yo, you stole my cake. You know, he starts, you know, getting at me about I stole this cake. <laughs> What? And I was like, well, nah, the cake's right there. This is my cake. And he was like, oh, no, I'm just playing. I'm just playing. So it was like, you know, it's a different character. So there's a bunch of characters there. Athletic, athletically, it was something I've never seen before. You know, 
that was the first time I got I was taught to 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 throw an alley. You know, you know, because we've tried it over in England, but you know, we didn't really jump that high, or the floor didn't really help us much. Um, but yeah, I just told to throw it up there, and they would go get it. So yeah, it was a crazy experience. I loved every second of it. Um, and yeah, you get to really measure your game uh, when you when you're around the best guys in all of America. I was going to ask how how did you feel that you measured up? Like how were you competing on the floor? I thought I was all right. Um, it was my first year. Like I said, Kevin brought me to the side, so I was within myself a little bit because, like, it was a little bit of an adjustment, um, which is what I try to tell these young guys when you go up to the states. It's like it's, it's different. <laughs> yeah, it's different from here. The, the, they move different. They play different. You know, so I was a little bit within myself, but I eventually gained more confidence and got better. Um, but yeah, as far as we've measured up, I, uh, yeah, I was, I, I didn't feel out of place. Uh, not, not the top guys. We're talking about there's like a hundred of us, or, mm-hmm. or you know. So obviously, I didn't measure up to you know Jacques Vaughan and all. There was a top point guard at the time, and you could clearly see why they were the best. Um, but then with the other guys, oh yeah, uh, I, I was all right against them. And so was it that, that that first led to, you know, potential interest from colleges in the States and in, in terms of bringing you over? Yeah, it started from there. Um, I think my first letter was from Temple, just out of the blue. I don't think I've even been to the States at that point. So that was, I mean, I used to look at that almost every day. <laughs> you know, that was the start of it. You know, it was like, wow. You know, I got I got a letter through. I didn't even know about it, all of that stuff. It just came out of the blue. So, yeah, it was um, it, it was just it was fantastic. Yeah. So, who was how many different schools ended up recruiting you? Kind of who were they, and what was your thought process when you when it came to like working out where you were going to go and what route you were going to take? Well, a couple of things happened in between that. Also, the second year there was Nike camp. And then the following year, there was an ABCD camp, not Adidas. Yeah. They used to alternate years, all right? So one year was Nike, the other following year was Adidas. So I was also, I got invited uh, to go to the Adidas camp as well. Um, I was a lot different there. I was way more comfortable there. And, and, and then um, the recruiting started from that. You know, my team, I think we won the championship that uh, of the uh, tournament. So, yeah, I was a lot more comfortable the second time around. And then I went to JUCO. For a year, yeah, um, missed one of my grades. So, guys, it's very important to keep your grades up because <laughs> you're gonna have to do it either, either way. So, um, science was in my best uh, class at the time, so I had to go JUCO. Well, I fast tracked during JUCO. I took a bunch of hours um, and graduated in um, three semesters rather than four. Right. Uh, I was gonna so, say, did, so, yeah. so you went to you went to Lincoln. Was that set up because obviously? Afterwards, you ended up going to Illinois State, right? Was it a case of Illinois State kind of they they had already offered you, you had accepted, and you were like, okay, well, to get academically eligible, I need to go to JUCO for a year, and that was sort of organised through them, or was it, yeah, like, or had they not offered yet, and you went to JUCO for a year, and then the offer came in, like, kind of how how did that work? Yeah, well, the offer came in when, when you know the story about Illinois State, you know, we my first season, I believe, yeah, uh, King Rice. Came over from North Carolina, uh, Steve Bucknum's teammates, Steve, you know, Steve and, and King were teammates. He came and played for Bullets um, for, I think, half a season. And then he went back to America and became a coach. 
And the second year when I was at ABCD, you know, he was at Illinois State. So then started, he was recruiting me hard from then. And because I knew King, you know, he was my teammate here. And I, I remember watching him on TV. It was one of the first games to watch NC State against North Carolina. You know, so, you know, I had a little bit of affinity towards him. So, you know, if he says he was at a school, Div 1, you know, mid-major, they wanted me, okay, I'll go. So, yeah, Illinois State then created the link after, you know, because of my science to go to JUCO. And then the arrangement was, I mean, McCall speaking to me and telling me, listen, you're going to have to fast track this. You're going to have to do a bunch of hours. You know, you know, I was capable of doing it. It was just, you know, a lack of concentration in, in one one um, particular lesson. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I was capable of doing it. Um, and then, you know, that's what happened. They linked, they, they, uh, linked the Lincoln College um, situation together. Was there any potential problem? Because you know, clearly you, you've made your uh, you made your senior debut. You know, for and for Americans looking in, it's like, oh, you're playing pro over here. Was there any potential eligibility issues with you having played for a professional team in England before going to the states? Yeah, there was, um, but I mean, I was only getting expenses, so that's what we we, we explained, you know, to the college and to to NCAA. Um, that it was only expenses, and it really was. I mean, it was hardly any money I was getting. It was literally pocket money. Yeah. You remember, I was only 16, 17. Um, so, yeah, so we didn't qualify as being professional. Okay, cool. So, uh, that moving away from home and sort of moving permanently over to the US, kind of how did you find that? Was that a difficult transition, um, or was it something that actually you were quite comfortable with? You remember, been back and forth from about 17, you know, to the, to the various camps. And there was also another game that we played in in Chicago um, with the rest of the world against the USA. I played in that game as well. Oh, is, that so, the, is that the Hoop then, Summit? It's like the Hoop Summit. Sorry? Is that the, called the Hoop Summit, Nike Hoop Summit? Yeah, it's called that now, but we, I played in the very first one. Um, I remember, yeah, I played in the very first one. So who was uh, playing? Chicago. Who was playing in that game? That must have been some some names in that one, surely. Yeah, Stefan Marbury, Trajan Langdon, um, Shimaki Walker, uh, Lorenzo Wright. Yeah. Wow. You know, yeah, a bunch of players. Um, so yeah, we, we 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 did all that, and uh, and then yeah, the recruiting got from there. Yeah. And, and moving to the US was all right because you'd yeah, spent a lot of time. US. Yeah, because I've done I've done all that. So um, by the time it came to to moving over, I was so excited. I knew a bit about the culture. I knew what to expect a little bit. Um, so yeah, it was a, it was quite an easy transition for me, really. How did you do on the court that year with with Lincoln? Did well. Did well. Uh, we. Got knocked out in the first round of the playoffs, which was an underachievement as a team. Um, but personally, I had an okay season. I think I averaged 13 points, 13, 14 points. Um, so, yeah, I had, I had a decent season. Did you, did you have any interest from any other schools after your year at JUCO that kind of made you think, oh, maybe I should go somewhere else? Or were you committed to Illinois State? Like, kind of, yeah, what, what happened after that? Yeah, my head almost got spun a bit. Um, Washington uh, was coming in hard for me. Um, then Dayton. Um, 
Washington obviously was in the Pac-10 uh, at the time, so you know that was an appeal, and and, and Dayton was in Atlantic 10 as well. Um, so yeah, those two came in hard. Uh, I did think about it. You know, it, it, it did turn my head a little bit because um, you know it's always nice for the attention. But I had already committed. Um, this was in my third, you know, semester. Uh, because um, you, you know you get a due call this whole season, so you're going to be recruited or yeah. Yeah. So yeah, you know, yeah. I just I wanted to be loyal and stick to my word. I said I was going to Illinois State, so I just followed it through. So then, stepping onto Illinois State campus, kind of how how did you find? Um, I guess the transition from junior college to Division One basketball. Uh, what were the differences, uh, and how did you personally find it? Intensity, intensity, intensity. The biggest difference. Yeah, I mean, and when I say intensity, it, I mean it's everything from the pickup games, in a, in a weightlifting room, um, the coaching, absolutely everything was, you know, you got to raise that bar uh, another level again, um, just to swim, you know. Um, so, yeah, it was a... Uh, it was good though because you know to play to play hard you know is the best way to play. It's the, it's the most you get out of it. I don't know. It's just more fun when you play in the best because when you succeed, it feels better. You know, when you don't succeed, you, you just got to work a little bit harder. So that was my mentality towards it. But yeah, that transition was yeah. It was just getting used to or, or raising that raising my level. Um, so again, so I could be one of the bunch rather than being uh, the bum of the pile. We there's obviously a lot of stories always go around of kind of like uh, particularly difficult practices at college and stuff like that. Are, are there any you know conditioning sessions or practice sessions that stick out in your mind that you just like you know that was just unbelievable and you can't even believe that you sort of put yourself through it. Well, you had to go through it at the time. Looking back on, oh, where do I start? Uh, there's a few. I could start with JUCO. Very first practice uh, was a six six a.m. Um, conditioning. We had to do a mile in six minutes. All right, so we had to do a lamppost right down there and back. So I'm doing it, and we all doing it. We all going hard, and I hear him counting down. It's like you know five, four, three, you know, for the times, and I cross the line like a second or two after. And like I'm going, I'm going all at it now. This is the end. I'm sprinting. I'm hearing him, so I'm putting my own. And I cross the line a second and a half after after time. Now I'm thinking, I'm the new guy, you know, you know, I'm a starting five guy. So you know, come on, coach. You know, say, nope, do it again. Had a little, I don't know, ten minute break. I had to do it again. So there's one. That was my. That was that was like, welcome to basketball in America. Yeah, but then in Illinois State again, it goes up a notch. Well, in, in JUCO, same thing. JUCO. Remember, coach putting the uh, two bins at each corner of the court. It's just mad for no reason. I don't know. <laughs> it's just coming there mad for no reason. And he tells everybody, he's like, okay, somebody's gonna quit today, and somebody's gonna throw up today. That was that's the okay. Let's, let's get practice going. That's what he tells us. This is also preseason. Because what what I guess his his, his philosophy was to wean out the guys that were the walk-ons that 
can't really stomach this. So he used to wean them out real quick. And then sure enough, you know, one or two guys used to quit every time he did that because he was just up and down, up and down, up and down. But the most brutal practice that I can remember, um, a couple guys mis misclassed today. So practice, and, and coach caught wind before practice. Now every practice we used to have in the locker room, he used to he used to pin up what the uh, practice plan was. So, you know, you're getting changed. Before you get changed, you look up there, you know what's going on. So you know if it's a beatdown practice, what we used to say, or a regular practice. So in this practice now, we could read that it was a beatdown because it was just full court, one-on-one, two-on-two. Everything was full court. You know, absolutely everything was full court, 100% for, for two hours. So we did that, which was already brutal. But then after... We had a running series, a uh, sprinting series, where you've got uh, 22, which is four times up and down, 33, 6, 44, 8, 55, 10, right? So he says, you do a full set, you go home. Yeah, when you do a full set, you go home. So it's there, boom, 22, done. And this is like everybody's got to cross the line. Big, fat, small, doesn't matter. All right? You've all got to make it. This is the rule that we always ran with. So 22, we did it. 33, we did it. 44, we just about did it. Now, that's when the guards started getting nervous because we knew the bigs weren't going to make this 50 baht. I mean, we used, to be, we used to throw them across the line and things like that. Gave each other's faces that like, you better make this, you know, stop being, you know, soft, you know, but obviously harsher words, you know, these, like, <laughs> these type of things that you used to do, we got to make this. So obviously we didn't make the 55. So, but coach had a thing where the good things that you did during practice on games, you get plus points. So your plus points would add up all throughout the year. So everybody had, had bunches of plus points. Obviously the people that played more had more than others. But the walk-on, didn't have any. One particular walk-on didn't have any. Now, we've already had a two-hour two practice, right? And then we've got to do this set. We don't make the set until 1 minute 35 because he puts it up five seconds or so each time. During the whole time, we could say, put our hands up every so often, but not, not too back-to-back. -back. We'll put our hands up and take a break. One guy didn't have any plus points. So we had to do the whole thing. So every single sprint. The end of the practice, he fell asleep in the locker room. He didn't move. A big fella had to be taken to the hospital because he ended up looking like Skeletor. Yeah, he was sucked. He had to be on the drip. Everybody else was just tiptoeing home. It was the most brutal practice in our history. <laughs> Legendary. Legendary. Um, so obviously from there, can you know when you when you uh, at Illinois State, so you went to the NCAA tournament twice, right? Was that in your final two years? Was that in your junior year and your senior year? Am I right? Yeah. Yeah. Kind of what are your memories of of those two? Because I think that was actually I I did some brief research quickly, uh, and I think that's actually still the last time the Illinois State have been to the tournament. Um, so however many years ago that was, a long time ago. Um. But like, yeah, kind of what your what your memories of of, of both of the, the tournament runs? Obviously, you know, first time 
realizing you're, you're in the tournament and you made it and kind of the feelings around it and then kind of walk us through kind of what happened well the previous year um we almost made it to madison square garden um we got beat by uh tulane in tulane um i had a bad game that game uh so that's why i remember it you know it's probably a big reason why we lost that game i had a particularly bad game that game but uh, yeah, so the following year, you know, we, we finished second in the conference that year um, with the NIT. And then in my junior and senior year, we, we won the league. We won our conference and we won the tournament. So, yeah, I mean, we were kind of prepared for it in a sense because we did the NIT and we got pretty far. So we, we, knew, we knew we were a good, solid team and we're the underdog type of team. So, you know, we've got something to prove. Uh, when it comes to that stage. The first year, we fell short. We put Kevin Cato uh, into the league because he had a phenomenal game against us. Our game literally put him into the league. Really? He had a, I think he had a quadruple-double. He had like 10 blocks. Yeah, or a triple-double with 10 blocks. It was ridiculous. He had a ridiculous game. Dunking everything, it was a little bit too much for us. So we lost that, and they had a good two-guard. I forget his name, but I think he also went to the league for a little bit. Um, what year was it so, that you were the conference sixth man of the year? Was that in your junior year or your senior year? It was that year, yeah. It was that year, that okay. Junior, yeah, junior year. So, yeah, and then, um, so the next year we won it again, the league and the uh, the tournament. And we were just, we were ready. Um, I mean, and we were down two of our starters as well. We lost our starter in the first round of the um, of the tournament. Um, I started shooting guard. I was six man that year. Yeah, I started some games, but I was still six man. So I started shooting guard, got hurt. He 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 broke his fibula, and um, so I had to come in and start at the two. And this is my senior year. And then we beat, we win the tournament, and then we go into the NCAA game, and the starting point guard pulls his back. So now I have to move from the two to the one. Preparing all week, mentally and everything, playing the tune to, to do a job there. And then with 30 minutes to go in the game, with 30 minutes to go to, to the start of the game, um, our point guard pulls out, so I have to shift over to the one. So, yeah, I mean, so, like I said, it's from the NIT and then losing against Iowa State. By the time we got to Tennessee... All of us, our main players were all uh, um, seniors or juniors. I think we had five juni- five seniors, six se- seniors at the time. We were totally in tune with each other, with, with our system. We were prepared in tournament um, scenarios, away games, winning away games. We were just ready, even though we were two players down. So that's how drilled and ready we were as a group. So that... that- uh, game against Tennessee, you obviously won in overtime, one by one. Uh, I think, if I'm if I'm right. Um, yeah. What are your memories of that game? Like, I'm, I'm you know, I, I looked, at, I did look at the, look up the box score. Uh, you finished with 16 points, nine rebounds, six assists in 41 minutes. Didn't miss a shot. Um, I would guess that's probably the best game of your college career, uh, based on it being the stage that it was on and doing it. In there, kind of like, yeah. What are your what are your memories of that game and kind of your own uh, sort of individual performance as well? My performance, 
yeah, I had a good game. You know, I was I was I was locked in. You know, I was you know it was the pinnacle, like he says. Um, I was a senior. You know, it was all out. It was when we to go home. The way the game was, it was strange. I mean, I watched it. I watched it a few times. Um, my job, you know, running that system was always to control the tempo. You know, run the offense, and I was never really pushed or even within myself to 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 be a main scorer. Even though I may have had some skills where I could have contributed a little bit more, but that game there, everything just fell into place. You know, it was it was knowing where to be, knowing where to pass, knowing where to shoot, um, being aggressive at the right times. The, the timing, uh, you know. Everything just came into play in, in that one game. We also had, you know, and it wasn't just me. Um, you know, three or four of us had very good, good solid games. And then the others, even if you don't, we, you know, with me and self, my, my, myself included, even if we wasn't necessarily playing that well offensively, you know, we wouldn't turn over the ball or we played good defence to, to contribute to the win. Um, so it was a real team effort. But, yeah, for me, it was just being intense, um, Knowing it was my last game, uh, you know, I remember I had a breakaway dunk and I really dunked in the game and I hammered it with two hands. Uh, it was just, you know, when you're at the top, you've got to bring it. You know, you just got to bring it. And, and, and that day, you know, I brought it, I had the time, you know, and yeah, it, you know, it turned out to be a great game for me. Were you guys expected to win that game? I think it was an 8-9 seed. Okay. So, you know, we all know that's going to be a battle. Yeah. You know, it, it, it's two tough teams, you know. Um, we, were, we were on the verge of being a top 25 team in our senior year. We, we lost against Northern Iowa in, in, our, in one of our conference games. If we would have won that game, we would have been top 25 that week. You know, the highest we got, I think, was 27th um, in the nation. So we knew we were a good team, and obviously they're an ACC team. So, uh, not SEC team, sorry. Um, so obviously, you know, they're going to be bigger, more athletic, stronger, you know, uh, yeah, as you would expect from an SEC team and a mid-major team. But not just us. Obviously, NCAA know what they're doing by seeing us eight and nine. That's what it turned out to be—a one-point game. Yeah. Yeah. So you advanced, and obviously then there you played Arizona and suffered a pretty heavy loss. Like, kind of, what were your memories of that game, and how difficult was it for you to kind of, I guess, end your college career uh, with a tough defeat like that? Well, during the uh, for me personally, during the um, the Tennessee game, you know, we, we I remember breaking it. We broke the press, and I was coming up, and I went for a dunk uh, after the break, and you know, their intimidating center came and just clubbing me out the air. And it landed hard on my on my wrist, so my wrist was like I couldn't practice. I, I just the next time I played it was the next time um, that I couldn't practice the next day. I had to get strapped up and everything. But that first the first half of that Arizona game, I believe it was a one point game or a three point game. You know we were in the game, um, but then you know they you know that Miles Simon and Mike Bibby and uh, Dickinson and. You know, they they were the national champ, defending national champions at the time. You know, they all came back for, for you know for the next year, trying to defend their championship. So the second half was a slightly different story. Um, 
for us, it was one game too many. We didn't have two of our main guys. It was just, and then it just all came crashing down in the second half. And yeah, it was an emotional um, time at the end because we achieved so much, you know, uh, all together. You know, we were a tight bunch. We still, I'm still in contact to, with a few of the guys now. Um, you know, we're champions back to back. Uh, as he says now, we were the Illinois State's last champion. So, yeah, it was tough, but it's the same with every, you know, every player, every college player that plays uh, CAA basketball. You know, your last game, it's like, this is over. I lived the dream for a little bit, and now it's over. So, yeah, it, it, you know, um, it was sad, but it's one of the things. So what was your process uh, for turning pro at that point? You know, did you know... You know, I'm going to pursue a professional career. Whether it, I don't know whether you sign with an agent or you know you thinking I, I need to find a look in Europe. Kind of, what was the the actual process after after finishing um, college to then actually becoming a professional basketball player? Straight after that, ten, that uh, Arizona game, uh, an agent was in my room that evening. You know, uh, and uh, it started from there. I didn't sign with that particular agent at that time. Because, like I said, it was right after that game. It's like literally a game changed or not. Um, you know, but then when I went back to school, you know, my coach came to me and asked me what I wanted to do. And I told him what I wanted to do. I wanted to play in Europe, you know. And um, his, 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 his good friend is, um, is, a, is a top agent um, in America. And, in, and, and their agency covers Europe and, you know, the top league and good players in, in Europe. Um, so he put me onto them, um, and then you know you just you just I mean immediately, as soon as I says yeah uh, okay yeah I want to play in Europe within two weeks, I was on a plane going to Italy. So that so I'm trying to work out the the timeline. So you graduated from Illinois State '98, right? So then, yeah. and then you were with Bologna in Italy. Was the first team that you signed with in your rookie year? Is that correct? Was that 98-99 or was that you tagged on for the end of the 97-98 season? It was literally two or three weeks, two weeks after that Arizona lost. Yeah. Lost. I was in Bologna. Okay. So you, okay. So you, so you joined them for the end of the 97-98 season or had their season finished? Then what happened, uh, Anton Rigadou got injured. You know, the French uh, yeah. point guard. He got injured and they needed a replacement um, just before playoffs and uh, for the first part of the playoffs. So I was brought over there to replace him um, until not necessarily with the minutes and stuff, but to bring it to be another a point guard within the club um, until he until he, he regained fitness. So when I came in, they literally just beat 42 though. Uh, in the semi-finals of the Euro League, and I arrived the next day, and then you know we were preparing for the playoffs, the Italian uh, Championship playoffs. Yeah. And I think we played Varese in the first round, and I played well in that round. I got minutes in that round because Anton was still on recovery. Yeah. I got minutes in that round. I think there's one particular game where I played well, um, and then he came back, um, and then you know. He, he carried on and won the championship for him. 
But so, but you, you, well, you were with the team when they won the Euroleague title, right? So you, you've got a Euroleague title. I wasn't on the roster. Right. But you're with, you're with the, you're with the team, right? Were you with the team? I was with the team. I yeah. was with the team. I helped prepare. You know, I was the assigned. I was the other guy in practice. You know, the other team. You know, when we were preparing for the games. Yeah. Um, but because I'd I'd flown in. They've just won the the, the semi final the, the day before I arrived. Yeah. So uh, it was it was impossible for me to be on a roster. But, I mean, that's, yeah. that's pretty just a pretty amazing experience to go from <laughs> to literally go from your college senior year and then being thrown in at the deep end in Italy. Kind of what was the the contract that you'd signed with them? Was that going over until the next season as well? Was it just until the end of that season to be with them? It was just like I said, it was just until the end of that season. It was just I was there as cover. Right. Okay. We're talking about you know they were the biggest team in Europe at the time. Yeah. You know? Um. So you know that was nothing for them. And for for context, you know for context, back at this at this sort of this sort of era, the the late nineties, Italy was pretty much considered the best league outside of the NBA, right? Yeah, Italy. Yeah, Italy, Spain, Greece. But yeah, Italy was was tough. I mean, Sasha Danilovic was my teammate, and he had just come off that Miami Heat team, I think. Or I'm not sure if that was his last team that he played on. But he left the NBA and came back and was uh, Mr. Basketball in Europe, best player in Europe when he came back. So how how did you find that that first taste of European pro experience outside of England? Uh, you know, it must have been pretty crazy. Yeah. It's it's crazy again having to adapt to another culture, <clears throat> way different from England and America, uh, in its own right. You know, um, the basketball culture, getting used to that, getting used to the different footwork that you had to learn, um, because you can't play the same way here and, and in America like uh, like you can in in Europe. It's slightly the the a little bit more stingy on the rules on that first step. So you've got to put the ball down. So you have to learn. You have to learn that because everybody gets called for travel. Or, you know, all the foreign players until they get used to it. Um, like I said, Messina was the coach, and he's just like he's like an engineer. He's you know he's fine tuning things, and um, it was great to work under him, just to see how he worked. Um, his professionalism, you know, the, just how these little tweaks made big differences. Um, so yeah, it was it was it was it was great. The crowd, you know, truly understanding how much basketball meant um, to the Italians, um, which you you wouldn't know until you go over there and see it. I mean, they absolutely love it. Um, and, and being in, in that football type of environment indoors and being on the on that floor again, it was it was different from America because the atmosphere is slightly different. You know, the, the, the crowds in Europe are, are, are way more involved, the, the singing, the chanting, um, they're going crazy. Um, in America, it's like cheering for, you know, so it's slightly different again. So, yeah, it was it, it was great. It was great. I mean, going there to win the championship and the crowd flooding the, uh, <laughs> flooding the court and I thought it was cool to, to party with them until I realised, well, I need to get out of here. The riff in my clothes, you know, I was trying to get my jersey and my shorts and I need to get out of here. 
So yeah, it was it was it was a crazy experience. So what what happened after that? So you were there at the end of the season. Did you did you come back to the UK for the summer to do workouts and stuff like that? Because obviously next season you ended up staying in Italy, right? Um, but kind of what what was the what, what did you do that immediate summer afterwards? The summer, you know, I came home. Remember, <clears throat> I just finished with uni. Yeah. And then I went straight to Italy. Um. So I came home, um, relaxed here for a bit, um, and you know, went to the track, went to the local gym, got shots up every single day, went to the track, stayed in shape until uh, that call came for me to go back to work. So your first, like I guess, I mean that your first full rookie year, your first uh, first full season, I guess, as a pro. Um, Kind of how was that? How did that go in Italy? Kind of what role were you playing? Um, and how how did you find uh, sort of I guess professional basketball? The only difference between college basketball and um, and, and pro basketball is you don't have class in pro. Uh, pretty much everything else is the same. You, you know, it's, it's it's real preparation for the pro game going to college because you're working at a high level. You've got strength and conditioning coaches, obviously the basketball is at a high level, the coaching is at a high level. So going into Europe, it was very, very similar. Um, so the first year, you know, I was young, fresh. Um, I was, I'm going to say I was at Verona first. Um, it started off a little bit slow there. You know, the team was a little bit, there was a lot of changes within the team. The, the management was a bit crazy. They used to come into the changing rooms after the half time, and it, it was a lot of craziness going on there. Um, so then mid-season, I got transferred to Pistoia, and it was like I was the main guy there. You know, I was one of the main guys there. Um, so um, yeah, I had a, I had, a, had, a, had a good season there. Um, I did pretty well. Average about, I think. I don't know, 11, something like that, 11, 12. Um, so, yeah, it, it was okay. It was good. I had a good year. Did you did you prefer playing on the continent? Was there any part of you that wanted to be back home in, in Birmingham, you know, playing in the BBL or wherever, or were you more than happy to be uh, abroad? I was more than happy to be abroad, to be honest. Um, you know, I was playing in, in, in the top leagues over there, so... yeah. You know, what my agent was telling me that they was willing to pay me over there, we, we knew that it wasn't on the same level, you know, in England. You know, I still in, in, with a good, had a good relationship with the owner of, of Birmingham Bullets at the time, Harry Blesky. Um, you know, he spoke to me and, and we had a little chat about it, but, I mean... Financially, it makes no know, sense. Financially, it didn't make any sense whatsoever. Um, so, yeah, it... Yeah, there wasn't much to think about there, to be honest. So, because you, you did end up, you did end up playing a few games in Birmingham at one point, right? At one point, when was that? It was a little bit later, right? I got injured. I tore my Achilles. Yeah. Um, in in when I was in Greece, my second stint in Greece. Um. So yeah, during that rehab time, I went back to the, I went back to Illinois State to do a little bit of rehab. Did some rehab in Greece and then did some rehab in Illinois State, and then came home and then by the I was fit right about 
August, you know, September, though, that area. Yeah. So then at the time, I think Tony Gabaletto was the coach. And, um, you know, the agreement was for me to play until or if something else came along. So, you know, I think I played one game or two games. I think it was just two stints that, that I did that. There was one time when they had the Achilles, when I tore my Achilles. Yeah. And another time when I was, you know, later on in my career when I was waiting to hear what was going on in Europe to get a contract from Europe. Um, so I played a few games with Bullets then as well. Did you ever play any games with Brighton Bears? I, dug, I did dig up an article saying that you were signed yeah. with Brighton Bears, and that, because again, it was played. the same sort of similar situation where you just for while you were waiting for some for an offer to come in. Yeah, that was uh, yeah. You know, when it got to those stages and later on in my career where the offers were coming a little bit less, yeah, slower from from Europe after my injury. You know, Achilles is a big injury, yeah. so uh, it, you know, it took a while for me to get back to to decent speed after that. But yeah. You know, it, it was weird in England. It was just, it was just different. You didn't like it? From where was, it's not that I didn't like it. It was just, I mean, when I was in Brighton, it was just very, very laid back. Um, nothing concrete was sorted out. So I came down to try and sort it out and it was still very, very laid back. I ended up playing a game and it was just, it was, I, I don't know what was going on there, to be honest. I think I spoke to a, another club um, and then I think I just asked a simple question is, um, you know, did they have any funds, you know, available? And that scared them off. I was like, well, I was only asking. <laughs> I, didn't, I didn't put a number to it. Yeah. So I don't know. It was just like, yeah, I did a stint with Brighton, but that was a different situation. Um, and then the bully situations after they played a game or two, uh, I had another contract. Yeah. So um, after that, after your sort of first full rookie season in, in Italy, that was when you then uh, signed with Ike, which is where you again experienced a fair amount of success. Um, can you kind of talk about your time uh, with the with the Greek side? Um, the seasons that you had, and obviously also uh, making the Euroleague. It was it was the final four, obviously, but it was it, that was actually before it became a final four format. It was like the semi-finals, right? It was like a five-game series, I think. Um, but yeah, can you kind of recap us, kind of what happened in Greece? You know how you found um, Greece compared to Italy, uh, and yeah, the, the success you experienced there. Yeah, Greece. Greece is a different animal. Um, Basketball there is more, way more physical. The ownership is a little crazier. In Italy, it was crazy. Like I said, in Italy, we had owners coming down at halftime and kicking and banging doors and breaking watches and stuff. So Greece, the fans would do a lot of that. You know, the fans could get crazy. I remember, yeah, some unpleasant times with uh, a few fans. But yeah, Ike, you know, we had the legendary Dujan Iskovic as our coach. So it all centered around him. And uh, yeah, he, 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 he was good. You know, it was good. Practices were good, tough. Um, the league was good and tough. Uh, yeah, it was a great time there. We were in the Supporter Cup. Again, it was the coach. The coach just knew how to get the wins, knew how to stop the, the, the opposition. And we played Kinder in our first Supporter Cup final, my old, my old team, my old coach. 
um, and we won, um, which we were the underdogs uh, to do that as well. The supporter cup uh, was the supporter cup was what? What was the format of that that competition? I remember now. I was trying to think of that the other day because it was like, how can I describe that now? Because the second year we we won the supporter cup. I think it was no, we won that once. I guess it was like uh, the UEFA Cup compared to the Champions League. Right. So my first, yeah, yeah, it was a second cup competition rather than the uh, Champions League. Okay. Or the Euro League, sorry. So, so you, okay, so you won the Sport Cup, uh, and then the run to the run to the Euro League final four. Kind of, what, what are your memories of that? I think. Memories of that, I remember playing against Dino Raja and it was a tough game, a very tough game because we had to stop him um, out there in, in Croatia, I believe. I remember Tal Gress. Oh, Tal Gress was a legendary game. Uh, I, I believe it's the only game that's ever had to be replayed. <laughs> you know, um, what happened? It was, our crowd was, it was a home game for us, so it was in Awaka. Um crowd was particularly loud that day. It was a particularly yeah, robust. A lot of people was there that day. And we were losing by one. Um, and we, we shut the ball. But because it was so loud, the buzzer went. But our, the teammate, my teammate caught the ball and put it in. And the referees counted basket good. But because it was so loud, it was there was confusion. I've never seen this before. Uh, you know, for me, it seemed like it was late anyway. Um, and when you saw the footage, it was like two or three seconds after the horn was gone and the basket was still good. So because it was that flagrant, we had to replay the game. And that was the semi-final, I believe. Wow. Yeah. Was there any times... Uh with the fans that you actually felt like you were in danger? In Greece? Yeah. Well, or anywhere, I guess. But Greece are notorious. <laughs> in Greece, there's one time, uh, one, one game we played uh, Olympiakos at home. Again, this was the playoffs. Again, you know, uh, we had a lot of fans and it was very loud in there. And I think Anthony Bowie um, and forget the other guy's name. Uh, he was another American ex-NBA player as well. But it was a 50-50 ball. And Anthony uh, had his hands on there. And he's an experience. We, when you play in Greece for a while, you have to get used to the refereeing over there because depending who a refereeing, depending if you're home and away, you had to be extremely careful. So he, he was being careful and he took his hands away and the referee called a foul. When he called that foul... I think there was like 45 seconds left in the game, but we were still in the game at that point. I think it was still a one-possession game. We called that foul, the gym absolutely erupted. Absolutely erupted. They were throwing everything they could get their hands on. They were ripping the seats, throwing that. I saw batteries. You know, back then we had the big, you know, batteries were big and thick. Those were throwing. I even saw a, um, a faucet on there get thrown at. Well, it wasn't thrown at us, it was thrown at the Olympiacos and the officials. So, 
although it was crazy in the gym, it was our fans, so we were still away from our, uh, you know, our dugout. So, but yeah, that game got stopped for about 45 minutes or so. I mean, they even set a fire in the back. They lit the place alight. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, we got banned for about seven games. We had to play without fans. Oh, wow. So you played without fans for seven games? I think so. I can't remember the amount of games. But the start of the season, the following season, I remember playing without fans. Wow. What was it like off the court? Like, you know, obviously that team is such a big part of culture. Uh, there, like you know, for you walking around town, if you wanted to go and get some food or go out, like was it very much? Were you a, a sort of local celebrity? You know, did you have people coming up to you all the time? Kind of, what was it like off the court? You wouldn't get people coming up to you all the time. You know, you wouldn't get that. But when it came to uh, when it came to um, bars and restaurants, yeah, you know, you you getting you getting a seat quick, you getting in immediately. Yeah. Um, so yeah, you would get that star treatment at, at restaurants and at bars. Some restaurants, not all. Um, you know, if you made yourself known and knew who you was, then yeah, you would get that treatment. But yeah, 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 you, a little bit, but not so much on the street though. So after your years there, then you then you went to Spain. Um, you know, what what are your memories of Spain? How did you find uh, you know playing in the ACB? ACB is a good league. Uh, Probably the most professional league I played in um, in Europe. Unfortunately, um, it was probably the toughest year of my career. Um, it was just uh, it's the only time I could say in my whole career that um, me and the coach didn't quite see eye to eye. Um, so it was a bit of a it was a long season that season, and we worked extremely hard, mm. um, uh, fitness-wise, um, which probably overworked us. Which is why we probably should have been uh, a better team than what we, than what we ended up being. Um, but the the league in itself was a very, very, very good league. Very good league. How would you compare it in terms of standard to Greece and, and Italy? similar with Greece Greece you've got you could say the top four teams have a good standard drops off a bit with the second tier and then again for the third uh, for the bottom tier uh, Italy the drop wasn't so significant in the league it was more of a balanced league um, but Spain was balanced throughout every game was a tough game every team was well run um, very similar to Italy, but yeah. I would say on a whole, slightly better. But when it came to the top four teams, they were all very, very similar. So there was yeah. nothing, nothing. There was nothing between them. Right. I'm aware of time, so so I do. Uh, I don't want to just ignore the rest of your pro career, but I do want to get onto sort of your international career, uh, representing England and and obviously Great Britain. Um, kind of. When you look back on your your international career, what are the what are the standout moments um, and memories that you have uh, that I guess mean the most to you? Uh, I mean, we we had fun, you know. We 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 made good of of, of bad situations at times. Um, we had long travel and uh, we wasn't getting paid a lot of money, hardly anything. 
Um, and, and I'm not sure if you heard Laszlo's podcast the other day, um, but he, he was spot on, really. I mean, he was looking after us, and uh, uh, we had a good bond that way. We, you know, we, we had a good time. Um, Playing-wise, you know, my, my, my first game in the Commonwealth Games, I guess, was a standout in uh, Malaysia. Um, I was 17. Um, and we lost to Canada, I believe, in the final, if my memory serves me correctly. So, yeah, that was that was a good time. It was my first cap. Um, and just, just meeting up, and we played Italy a few times, and Latvia, I remember that win was a, a big win for us at home. Um, so, yeah, it was just... The team changed a lot, but it was certain there was a core of us that 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 remained. But the, there was a lot of faces that came in that that, that came in and out. Who um, who was that core? I would say, Dami Herriman, Andy Betts, you know Steve Butnell before you know when I was just coming into the team. Steve Butnell, Martin Hanlon, Roger Huggins, uh, Ronnie Baker. Um, mainstays those guys were always there would you guys stay in touch with each other during the season like when you go back to your club club sides uh, in the summertime more so not during the season yeah uh, yeah we were probably like I used to go up to see Dalmi um, and Yarrick uh, Manchester um, in the summertime um, uh, but yeah it was more of a summer Thing where we kept in contact, or whenever we whenever we met up during the season, we were all busy, you know, getting on with our seasons and you know our families and whatever. And then when it, when it comes to GB, like I didn't I didn't realize um, that you were involved with the I think so 2006. I'm pretty sure was the first year of the sort of the reincarnation of the GB program um, that obviously ended up ultimately becoming the team that was going to compete at, at London 2012. Um, so, you know, that that sort of time period, uh, you know, what do you remember about the, the, the early years of the Great Britain programme? Kind of, the, you know, the, the first call that, that told you that there was a Great Britain team being formed. Um, and, yeah, how was it kind of being involved with that, with that team? Yeah, it changed dramatically. I mean, I remember being in Florida at some beautiful suites for practice. Um, you know, obviously, Luel Deng was on the team then, and there was a, a, a drive to qualify to be in the Olympics, even though we hosted the Olympics. We still had to finish at a certain level um, to be able to perform, on, uh, you know, at, at the Olympics. So um, we saw the difference in um, the input that, you know, the governing bodies put in, the finances that they put into, into us. You know, our quality of, 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 of stay was good. Our travel was good. Um, preparation stepped up to, to, to a more professional level. So there was a definite difference uh, leading up to the Olympics. And how was it to be around, you know, those guys and uh, sort of coming together? Did you feel at the time that kind of like you were a part of, you know, the start of a, a, a new era or kind of history in the making? <sighs> really, I mean, I was... The old guy by then. Yeah. Um, it was just, it, like I said, it was for me, you know, it, it was just 
get out there and play and start winning some games. At least I thought we was going to win more games. You know, the, the concentration, the professionalism would allow us to win uh, more games. So that's what was exciting about that. Obviously, having Luol, um being in the NBA and playing, um, you know, which was exciting. And you could see NBA level close up, you know, which was evident. Um, so that was good. Practices were good. You know, it was a, it was a good level. So, yeah, you know, in, in that regard, yeah, it, it was good to be around, you know, a Luol and... Um, you know, Amici before that, uh, even Steve, you know, you know, but during those days with Steve and, and, and Amici, um, we were England and, and, and it, was, it was a totally different story. Well, are there any, uh, so, so if there was 2006, so Loire was drafted in 2004, I think. So um, he'd have been two years into his NBA career, kind of, you know, looking at him then as a, what, 21-year-old-ish, I guess, around around then. Um you know how evident was his talent level? Kind of, are there any stories that that stick out from practice or anything like that? Well, yeah, I remember. Uh, you know, you could see his movement. He was sharp. Uh, he, you know, when he saw the opportunity, he, you know, he didn't blink. He just took it. He was clinical when he got the opportunity to, to finish, and that's pro level. I mean, we were all pros there anyway. You know, um, but you know, there's different levels you know, to, to, to our games. Uh, and seeing him um, play, you know, it was just efficiency. Efficiency, efficiency, efficiency. And that's what it was all about with him. And the story, well, I remember, you know, Andy was, you know, me and Andy roomed and uh, he noted after about a week or so, he was like, I don't know how long it was, but he says, do you know that Luella hasn't lost a game in practice? I thought, and I was like, you know what? You're right. He hasn't. So the next day, he and Luel was on the same team. I said, he's going to lose He's gonna lose a game today. <laughs> We're going to lose today, Andy. So, um, you know, I got my guys to get on. Like, Yo, we got to go. I didn't tell them what was going on. I think I know I did. I did. I was like, listen, this guy hasn't lost a game since practice has started, since whole training camp. We've got to make that happen right now. So... We went out there and we, we, we balled out and we won that game. And I remember chasing Andy. He wouldn't want to look at me. It was, you know, when I was walking to him, he was, he was running around the gym. So, yeah, uh, with him, he was dominant in practice. I mean, he won every, his team won every game. Again, because he was just so efficient. He was shaky with, you know, his movement off the ball was, was great. You know, he's moving at speed with intensity and then it's catch and shoot or catch, chuck, fake one dribble and finish. You know, it, it, yeah, you could see the difference in levels. So, uh, when it started coming towards the end of your career, what made you uh, make the decision to to ultimately hang 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 them up? Uh, after my injury, it, it, you know, it slowed down a bit. Mm-hmm. Everything slowed down. Maybe my performance um, wasn't as high. And the offers, you know, started dwindling a little bit. Um, the the phone wasn't ringing off the hook from England, you know. So it was just a time. I probably, when I look back, I probably probably gave up a year or two too soon. Um, I probably could have worked harder. But you know, from playing, you know, with men, the men's level at from 16 years old, maybe I got burnt out a bit at the end. Mm. You know, where my body just couldn't give 
uh, what I wanted it to give uh, and me enjoying it at the same time. Um, so I think when I started questioning whether I wanted to go back overseas, whether I wanted to go get up and go to practice, um, yeah, that's when, that's when I decided. How did you find that transition from being a professional basketball player to all of a sudden, you know, not playing that game every day and having all the practices and, you know, working towards game on the weekends or, or whatever it is? Like, how did you find the, the transition into into your post-playing uh, career? It was tough. It wasn't easy. Yeah, it, it wasn't easy at all. Um, you've got to find a new way. You know, you're in your 30s and your late 30s. Um, you've never been in the corporate world and you've got to find your way. You know, you, this is where education now falls back in or falls back into place. Um, but that's some way, somehow, you've got to carve out a new life. Um, so, yeah, it was daunting. Um, it was a tough transition because you've got to learn new skills. What new skills do you have to learn? So you go through bumps and bruises um, before, you know, you settle in and you find a place. Do you think you'd spent a lot of time thinking about what you wanted to do after you finished playing or was it something you really hadn't thought about until you finished and you're like, oh, I've kind of got to work out what I'm doing now? It was, the, the reality was, well, there's, what do you do? You know, you have to think about, yeah, what am I going to do? What am I going to do? What am I going to do? And then when that time comes, um, you got to try and do it. Sometimes it doesn't work out and then you try something else, you know? So uh, it's just a, a big learning curve um, after playing. Did you know that you wanted to go into coaching? Yeah, in a sense, yes. Um, like we said at the beginning, you know, basketball is a drug, and you know, we. To be honest, you know, just before I was finishing anyway, um, that's when the club started. Um, you know, the club started and. I had a conversation with Nigel. He flew out to to to, to Italy, um, and we sat down and we was having a chat. And he told me he was going to start the club. Um, and at first, I thought we're borders. I mean, you know, what are we talking about. But then he stopped playing earlier and was learning of Harry. And he also, you know, went to Lauren and everything. So when he told me that. You know, and then I sat down and I thought about it. I said, yeah, it's actually, it's a great idea. <laughs> you know, go for it. Um, and then, you know, I was the director of the club from the very beginning. So, And it was, it Bir it was Birmingham A's right at that point. Yeah, that was Birmingham A's. So when I, when I finished ball, it was like, yeah, I, I, I kitted up a little bit and uh, kitted up more in training than in games. And once I started playing, I didn't really want to, play division two <laughs> you know yeah i'd rather help the other guys win in that level and just help out whenever i can but i didn't want to take any minutes from the other guys in a sense you know so yeah it was it, it was immediate really that you know i just wanted to help um and especially you know it's it, it my club so definitely i was going to help so uh is it was miles hessen the sort of the first player to really come out of the program Birmingham A's? Yeah. Uh, I would believe so. Yeah. What were your early yeah. memories of him as a, as a youngster? Uh, I mean, I remember coming in one summer when I, I think I've just committed to coaching the team. Yeah. Uh, when I, uh, as a head coach. 
and we had some summer sessions on. Um, and Nigel invited all you know the, the young lads to to the session. And I you know I was going there and I was still shooting and playing as you you know I was only just just stopped playing not too long ago. But I seen him playing, and he moved different from everybody else. You know he found ways to score around the basket different from everybody else. Now, you know, at this time, I think it was my second year with them, um, you know, your eyes get used to what you've seen, but then you also know what you, you're used to seeing elsewhere with other style of players and other players. So then when you see a player that's doing these type of things, it's clear, you know? So his talent stood out to me a mile off, but nobody knew who he was. I was shocked. I was totally shocked that nobody knew who this kid was because he was 17 at the time, I think. So I snapped him up immediately and just started, boom, just straight into it, teaching the stuff. He told me he was into it. He told me he wanted to get better. He wanted to be a pro. So I was like, let's get to it then. And just, just, just got started getting to work. When you look at sort of where he's come from and sort of what he's doing now, you know, how does that make you feel um, when you see the success that he's he's gone on to have? Uh, well, obviously, great joy. Um, you know, it's it's a, it's a fantastic story for me personally, and to watch him doing what he's doing um, is great. You know, because like I said, he was in the wilderness. You know, he was just another kid, but to me, it was like that's a talented kid right there what's going on here? What, you like don't see this? Um, so, yeah, when I've seen him doing what he's doing now, yeah, I, I'm very, very, very proud. Very proud to see him. I mean, captain of the Great Britain, yeah, I'm very proud. I mean, he's an interesting case study because, well, in the time that I've been covering the sport anyway, I'm pretty sure he's the only guy that hasn't gone abroad, stayed in the UK through his entire sort of, I guess, early years of development, played in the BBL, and then gone on to play at a higher level. You know, do you think that's potentially going to be a route that more players can take in the future, or would you still say that uh, you know there's been a lot of talk at the moment about sort of the pathway and stuff like that, or do you still think um, that for most guys, you know, going the US college route is the is the best option? He proved that you can do it. You know, I mean, I wanted him to to do the, to what I to do what I did, um, but because of Caught him late, and when it when it when it was evident he was going to be the player that you know behind the talent, it was a little bit late to start negotiating with the states because nobody knew he was only playing National League Division Two, so we need you know it, it could have happened, but I don't think he was comfortable with the um, the lack of organisation behind it. So, um, you know, he took the route, the European route, uh, and, he, and he proved that it can work. I mean, I always told him, I said, if you're going to do this route, you're going to have to, like, kill. Like, you have to have great stats at the end of the year mm. because you're playing at that level. You know, at, you know so you have, to, you have to, you know, if you want to play in Europe at the top leagues, uh, these leagues, you have to show everybody what you're capable of doing. And he did. And he did. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah, so it proves, it proves that um, it can be done, that you don't have to go to the United States, right? 
But I believe, uh, I mean, I alluded to it earlier, it prepares you to be a pro. Yeah. And, uh, and I think it's very, very much respected in Europe if you go that route. You know, if you go that route, um, you know, you, you're at a Division One school and, you know, you've, you've represented yourself well over there. Um, you know, it is a smooth transition into Europe. Whereas if you go the, the, the route that um, Miles went, um, it's more pressure on you in a sense. To prove yourself. To prove yourself. The pressure, the pressure for the person coming from the States, you've gotten that pressure, you've gone through that pressure to get the scholarship. Yeah. Now it's your job to keep that scholarship, which is an element of pressure. Um, but then if you complete those four years, you've come back with a certain pedigree behind you. Yeah. Whereas if you do it in Europe, you've got to build it up and, you, and you're not hiding away over there where they hardly see you or they see you on TV. When you're over here, they always see you. There's more up, the, the, the closer eyes around you. So um, that can work for you or against you and it works for him. Um, on, on the topic of keeping, uh, well, giving guys the option to stay at home rather than going abroad and stuff, uh, you know, the BBL and Birmingham has been an often spoken about topic. Obviously, the league's made it clear they would love a, a franchise in Birmingham. We've seen a couple of attempts um, in recent years to try and make it happen. Obviously, it hasn't happened. Do you think that we could see a uh, you know BBL franchise in Birmingham in the future? Is it something that you've ever thought about doing? Kind of, yeah. What's your thoughts about sort of bringing pro- professional basketball back uh, to Birmingham? It needs to happen, but it need, when, it, when, it, when or if it does happen, it needs to be it needs to be done correctly. The last two times uh, it was attempted. Um, it didn't really last. I think both teams lasted a year, or was it two years? Yeah, yeah, it wasn't, no. it wasn't long, wherever it was. <laughs> I think both teams lasted a year. I mean, listen, we all want it. We all want it back. We all want the old days where we're, we're, we're all, you know, rooting for the same team in the city. Um, the problem is, is that we have to get the correct, the the collectively a group of minds that are working towards one goal and everybody understands their role. In Birmingham, it's hard to say that. It's hard to bring that together right now, you know, for various reasons. In the future, we may have a way of accomplishing that. Um, Fingers crossed, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll wait and see. Uh, we'll wait and see in the next two or three years uh, whether you know uh, we can contribute to, to making something happen. Um, it needs to happen um, for 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 the players, for the for the for the game in the country as a whole, um, and hopefully it does in, in the near future. All right, right. Before we wrap up, I just got some uh, more quick fire questions um, just to finish with. So, uh, starting with the best player that you've ever played against. You can go with Sherelle Ford. It's not just one guy. You can go with Sherelle Ford. We can go with Maurice Trotter, which is my teammate at Illinois State. We could go with Alan Iverson, Stefan Marbury. I don't know, Manager Oberly, maybe. 
maybe he's probably the best one because his first step was ridiculous. I mean, uh, we all see, but to play against it, his first step is, is, is pretty much, I had a tough time guarding him. Sherelle Ford is impossible to guard. Um, I'm, 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 am I getting his right name? Sherelle Ford, I think it's, uh, that's his name. Is it? He used to play for Olympiacos. He had a big neck. He died of some rare disease. I'm not sure. Um, I'm not sure who he is. Um, but he was a phenomenal scorer. He played a lot of years in Greece. Um, like I said, I played against Ginobili uh, when he was at Reggio Calabria. And uh, I think in Europe, when he was at Kinder, he was he's a tough guy to guard because of his first step and the way he moves his body. Uh, yeah, but there's a few guys I would love to mention that were, were, were good guys because, you know, my role in every team was always to guard the best guard. You know, as a pro, I, so, you know, I, I would get cooked by some, but uh, do a good job against some as well. Yeah. Um, the best, your best game of your career? Tennessee games up there. Um, I had a couple of good, I had a good game for Bologna in, in a, in the first round, uh, I mean, I've had a few good games. Yeah, of <laughs> but course. The most important game with my with my best stat line, um, yeah, it would probably be that Tennessee game. Your favorite teammate? <laughs> my favorite teammate. That's a tough one. Man. <laughs> That's tough. That's tough. I've got to, you know, uh, you I love, I love a lot of my teammates. Fair enough. Um, be political. Be political. Um, and the best coach you've ever played under? I've got three. You know, I base my style around those three. These three um, would be Kevin Stallings. Um, the style of play, intensity, you know, his, his style of play, his coaching was good. Torrey Messina, even though I had a small stint with him, you know, I saw how much the detail matters. And Dujan Iskovic, um, just to find ways to win and, and to know how to shut your opposition down. Um, so those three, I couldn't just name one. Uh, I would have to say those three. But with the length of time, number one out of those three would have to be Kevin Stones. And then, um, the, in your opinion, your best slash uh, favourite British player? Again, one guy? You give me, give us a handful if you, if you, if you want to give us a handful. Handful, I'll go with Betts, Michi, Bucknell. Um, English teammates, yeah, England teammates, yeah, yeah, England teammates, GB teammates, just the British players. Yeah, Betts, Buck. Um, Delmi, Yarrick, you know, those are my guys. Perfect. 
Cool. We're coming up to an hour and a half, so that's a, a perfect place to leave it. Steve, it has been a huge pleasure. Thank you so much uh, for coming on the show. Uh, and I'm sure we will catch up again soon. Thanks a lot. You are listening to the Hoops Fix podcast, the official voice of the UK's largest basketball website. Visit hoopsfix.com for exclusive news, videos and more.